Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everyone. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio on the CBS and Play It Network. And as always, I'm excited about our guest today. And our guest is Jillian Gordon, who is the founding partner of New Hire, which is a high-performance consultancy firm that works with individuals and organizations and teams to increase employee performance and motivation and engagement and retention. And these are all things that we should be extremely interested in. This guy has been featured on MSNBC, Forbes. He's done TED Talks. He's involved with Black Enterprise, and he's worked to help thousands of professionals be more present and perform at higher levels in their lives and their professional careers. And not only that, he's a real smart dude. He graduated uh, Stanford's Graduate School of Business, which means, yeah, real smart dude. And uh, he specializes in behavior and high-performance leadership. And he now lives in Brooklyn, New York, originally from Oakland, California. Julian, welcome to the show. So glad to be here, Chef. Thanks for the invitation. Well, man, we are going to have some fun. We're going to talk about uh, really one of the, the. I read this great article, and I know uh, you have a book. Is that right? Yes. And and what's the it's title called, of that book? It's called Work Softer. Work Softer, and I, uh, yes. I yes, and I love that title, and I'll tell you why I think it's great. I read the article that focuses on workaholics and the subtle difference between high performers and workaholics. And that's what I want to talk about more than anything today is because as I read through this article, I realized, yeah, there are people that are working really hard, but they're not necessarily working really smart. And sometimes the people that are working really hard appear to come off as workaholics. They don't know when to stop. You even have a comment in there, and I love this, that, you know, the goal is to win the game but as long as the score gives you the winning score, how much more do you have to do? Yeah. I, yeah. So we'll get into that. Let's let's start off. Uh, give us a little background on yourself, and then we'll get into the first question that I have for you, because I've written down a few things based on this article that I've read. Yeah, well, um, I'm the son of two doctors, uh, so um, I experienced workaholism firsthand as a child, um, and my parents were in emergency services, so it's kind of understandable. One was an anesthesiologist and the other was an oral surgeon, so they would go in very early, like at the crack of dawn, and they wouldn't come home until late, and then they'd be on call when they were home and on weekends. And so I experienced workaholism firsthand as a as a child, but again, that was emergency services, right? And in many cases, it was a life or death situation. Somebody was bleeding heavily and I think we have taken that into I guess what I could call white collar work or knowledge work and we treat everything like an emergency and it doesn't have to be that way for us to uh, produce results. Right so basically your lifestyle was of uh, a workaholic uh, overworked always on call never having well not never but a lot of times not having weekends to yourself or evenings to yourself when the typical person wouldn't uh, would, would have those times off and they wouldn't be exposed to that hard, rigorous schedule that, you know, you just don't know. You know, you could be in the middle of hanging out. Your parents are doing something fun with you, and they get the call, and boom, it's yeah. over. 
Yeah, well, it started with my parents, and then it actually carried over to me. And um, as I stepped into the world of entrepreneurship, and there were no boundaries, and I only got to eat when I killed something in terms of finding a client, uh, work hard wasn't really set in for me. And it was okay as a single uh, young man in New York because I didn't have any relationship that it was affecting. But it wasn't until I found my wife and then had a little daughter that uh, it start, I started to see the negative impact of my workaholism and not having boundaries on work, not putting work in its place in the relationship of my priorities and what I call my life's work. I think we have our work work, but then there's our life's work. And our life's work is way bigger than our, our, our day-to-day work. And my life's work includes me being a great partner. It includes me being a great parent. Um, and it includes me being a great professional. But uh, oftentimes we let uh, our day jobs uh, take over our life and try to fit everything else in around it. Right. I, I can so much relate to that because I remember prior to being married, uh, if I didn't have a date on a Saturday night, you could find me in my office work until, you know, midnight, two in the morning, whatever. And then we did get married and we we had a kid. And I remember my wife saying to me, you know, you work like every weekend. This isn't exactly what I signed up for. We need to figure this thing out or I'm worried we might not be married uh, in a few years. And I went, whoa, now that is a wake-up call. And I'm, I'm fortunate because my wife said, hey, this is what's going on in my head. And, and it like, you know, I realized at that moment I'm putting in a lot of hours. But at the same time, that was my habit. Um, and, um, and, and I'm going to jump to a, another gentleman who I interviewed a number of, of uh, gosh, it had to be a couple of three months ago, uh, Dr. David Moffat from uh, Australia. And he said that the best way, and he, he's, he's saying to doctors, coincidentally, and dentists, as you set up your practice, you need to think about your lifestyle as you begin your career as opposed to saying, I'm going to work real hard so I could eventually get to that lifestyle. Because what ends up happening so many times is we get into that habit, such as I had, and it's very hard to break. So you start out ahead of time thinking about what you want your lifestyle, what you want, uh, what you want your, your professional career to look like. I totally agree with that. And, you know, uh, for me, it happened on a beach in Cancun. I got a call from a client, and they needed me uh, in the United States. And so I actually... Uh, did a 36-hour round trip from Cancun to uh, the United States, and it happened to be in Texas. And then I flew back to reconnect with my wife on the beach, but I actually left my wife on a beach in Cancun. And that's uh, that was a big wake-up call for me. And the, and the weird psychology that we have going on um, is that we are working hard for our families, but at the very same time, work is what's taking us away from our families. And so that's where a lot of people feel like they're having a dilemma. Right. And by the way, there are movies that have been uh, uh, produced based on uh, the husband that had to leave for a little bit of time and come back and find out things were different. No, I, we, yes. don't, we don't get into that. All right. I'm lucky. I'm lucky. Yeah. Just like you, uh, I'm lucky to have a compassionate wife who held space for me and gave me time to make shifts and adjustments. And then uh, with my daughter coming, it only uh, accelerated my process. Wow. So how old's your daughter now? Uh, she just turned one this past week. Oh, wow. Well, she is a lucky girl. She doesn't know how lucky she is to have a dad that's thinking, that's thinking the way you are. All right. Let's get into an important question. Are you ready? The difference yeah, between high performance and workaholism, <laughs> what's the difference and, and how do they work differently? 
this is an interesting one because, you know, high performance and workaholism, they look the same on the outside, right? They look like hard work. And that's why my book is called Work Softer instead of uh, Work Harder because that's always what we're told to do is we're just work harder. But the big difference is how the individual feels on the inside about who they are in relationship to their work. So for me, a high performer works hard in healthy, sustainable ways and feels happy and inspired by their work, where the workaholic works hard in unhealthy, unsustainable ways and they feel unhappy and burned out. Well, I don't know if the unhappy and burned out is the case. I think it leads to potentially unhappiness and being burnt out. But a lot of times, uh, people who love their jobs, they get immersed into it, and they just can't break away. And uh, I think you know that is workaholism. When it starts to impact the people around you, especially the people that care about you, uh, that's when it becomes a problem. Uh, I don't know if the individual knows that they're they're uh, deteriorating or they're unhappy or they're uh, you know ruining relationships around them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually the, the negative effects after it's the after effects where the unhappiness starts to come in. But there's three really uh, core kind of workaholics. It's one who doesn't know their value and they let others determine their value, so they're willing to go hard for the company or their boss um, nonstop, regardless of the ask. Then there's the actually the other person who loves the work that they do, and they love it so much that they pour their lives into it, yet it's spilling over into and intoxicating the other aspects of their life's work, which I talked about includes all your roles, not just your role as professional. And then the other uh, avenue is actually in the nonprofit sector, where, again, the cause and the meaning of their work is so high that they feel like if I'm not there, then what happens is uh, what happens is we lose another kid, or another kid doesn't get educated, or somebody dies in cancer if I don't show up. So when the meaning is really high, or when somebody loves their work a lot, or someone doesn't know their value and they're willing to do anything that the company or their boss asks, those are the three core types of workaholics that I've identified. Sure, I will tell you that when I hire young people, I love it when they come to work with this enthusiasm. And and granted, we don't work them till ten or eleven o'clock at night. Uh, I hope that they don't watch the clock so closely. I hope that, you know, they're on salary. They show up at 8. Uh, they work till 5-ish. Maybe it's 5.15, 5.30, maybe. And I love it when they come in the next morning and say, last night I was doing a little research. And I just know that they're into their work. However, I'm real clear about drawing the boundaries. Uh, you know, family is most important. And if we have somebody that comes in that has a kid and the kid has something special, you know, every once in a while that's going to come up. We always suggest and promote that, hey, that's more important than any job they're going to have, at least even at least here, that's for sure. But I do believe that, you know, an enthusiastic employee is willing to go to the mat, but that doesn't mean it's going to uh, deteriorate their lives. And I think there's this there's this fine line, and I think we have to find it sometime. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think at some point we started treating human beings like machines, and and with machines we try to maximize utilization, right? Uh, we try to get that's where night shifts come in because the machine is just sitting there. Let's figure out a way to use it. And I think we started treating especially salaried employees who don't have any boundaries, who aren't connected to an hourly rate. We started treating salaried employees like machines and trying to maximize utilization, not being aware that human beings need rest, whereas machines don't. They need some maintenance when they break down, but they don't need as much uh, rest and, and maintenance as the individual does in order for them to show up at their highest level each day. Right. And I would imagine that, that somebody who is truly entrenched in workaholism may not be able to be performing at their peak. And so I'm just going to say this right before we take a quick break. If you're in leadership and you expect your people to go to the mat for you, 
Sometimes going to the mat doesn't mean working 12 and 14 hour days. Sometimes it's what they do and the time that they have. And maybe there's a little bit of extra time put in there uh, and, and effort, but it's how they handle what they do when they're there. And by the way, if you're an individual, recognize that you're probably not performing at your peak if you're burning out and you may not even know you're burning out where you're working until 11 12 o'clock at night one in the morning uh, getting three four hours sleep going back to work and starting all over again uh, i think that there's probably this balance that has to take place i'm not suggesting to anybody that we conform to the normal eight to five hours 40 hours a week no no i i personally don't subscribe to that you'll catch me every once in a while in here on a weekend you'll definitely catch me in here at five o'clock six o'clock six thirty at night sometimes even a little bit later you'll catch me coming in really early in the morning but i'm making sure that i've got balance i have fun i have a great time with my family and uh, i get decent sleep so with that in mind we're going to take a really short break when we come back we're going to talk to julian gordon by the way if you want to find out more about julian it's juliangordon.com j-u-l-l-i-e-n Julian Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N.com. You'll learn more about them. And this is a fascinating topic. When we get back, we're going to talk about more Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. We're talking with Julian Gordon, who is an expert at high performance and understanding the difference between working really, really hard and being a workaholic. And Julian, you give us a lot of, th- of, of food to th- for thought, if you will. Uh, what are the differences between the goals of a high performer versus a workaholic? And, and I think that uh, at the beginning, as I, I start to think about this, we may think they're the same goals, but they're probably not. Yeah, I totally agree that they're different. And the way I language it is that a high performer is really interested in doing business, whereas a workaholic is really interested in being busy. And those are two different things. So a high performer's number one goal is doing business. And the only thing that matters to them are results. If they can't see a way to create value in the moment, then they facilitate or strategize instead. And they know uh, they know that like the economy, business comes in waves. Therefore, they get ready during the dip so that they can capitalize during the upswings. Where the workaholic, their number one goal is just to be busy. And so they fill a lot of space and time with busy work because they feel insecure when they're doing nothing. And that insecurity comes from not knowing their true value. And they believe that the busier they are, the more important they must be. And as a result, they find a way to be busy even when it's not busy season. And instead of periodically hibernating throughout the days, weeks, months, or quarters and years for when those high times come. Wow. So, um, you know, staying busy all the time, probably doing things they shouldn't be doing. Yes, and there are, and when they do that, they're creating work for other people. So now I'm, I don't have a long to-do list today. I feel like I need to be doing something. So what I do, I create work, and that work usually impacts others. So now I start sending email to my team, and there's five people on my team. They're reading that email, then they're replying, and then everybody's reading the replies. And one email, uh, which took ten minutes to draft, triggers two and a half hours of work for the team, right? So this is, again, when we're focused on busy work instead of actually doing business and helping the company create more value than they take. What about the person that is doing things they shouldn't be doing? For example, um, uh, certain 
responsibilities that should probably be delegated to someone else. Maybe uh, somebody who feels nobody can do it as well as they can, so they take on things on themselves, or maybe they just do the admin work that somebody else is paid to do. They're just not letting them do their job, and in, in effect, that means they're staying busy doing things they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge lack of trust in, in, in one's teammates, and it's characteristic of a lot of leaders who feel like they have to do everything. And the reason they feel like they have to do everything is because they don't feel like they can trust others to do it. And these are the same type of people who don't take vacations, who come in when they're sick because they feel like everything's going to collapse if they step away for two hours. And that, at, that, at the end of the day, that's a sign of poor leadership. You know, I, I, I went through an exercise, uh, and I talk about this gentleman quite often throughout these shows. His name's Dan Sullivan. He's my, my coach. He actually has a program called Strategic Coach. And, Julian, that's how you and I actually connected, believe it or not, now yes, that I think back on it. But one of the things, he, he put us through an exercise. One of the exercises he put us through one day was I, I showed up there, and he says, imagine that you are called. And, by the way, this happened to one of his clients called uh, away for an emergency. This particular person uh, in Salt Lake City, they're Mormon, and they were called on an emergency type of mission where they had to leave their business for a year. At, I mean, without hardly any time to prepare. They just had to get up and go. And and they went to a part of the world that was very difficult to communicate back here into the U.S. So effectively, they couldn't check in every day. They couldn't check their emails. That was done for a year. So the exercise was, how do we prepare for that if it were to ever happen? Who would we have do what? And we started to work that whole day on creating uh, the system that would allow us for uh, lack of a better term, to be pulled away uh, on an emergency for a year. And I love what happened. We were working. We were making it work. We were starting to feel confident that, you know what, if it happened, we could possibly pull this off. And at the very end of the day, this is what Dan said, I've got good news. It's not for a year. It's only for two weeks. Now go have a really nice vacation. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. you're giving me some foreshadowing for my upcoming coaching session. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I think that that is something that when you come to that reality, you go, wow, is the place going to fall apart if I'm not there? And I think that's what we worry about. You know, um, I don't think it's somebody worried about somebody taking their job, uh, although that may be part of an issue why people are competitive and work at the level that they do. But I think sometimes it's a function of, they just think, uh, you know, they're more important than they probably are. And by the way, that doesn't mean they're not important people. But in, right. in the job, in the business, uh, it's amazing what other people can do, isn't it? <laughs> yes, when you create space for them to show up and actually create value instead of giving them just uh, paperwork to, to fill out. And nobody likes paper pushing. They want responsibility. They want a challenge. They want to do a task that they, they're not necessarily sure if they can complete and because that's when they're able to grow and that's how they become leaders. So uh, the way I define leadership is someone who create a leader is someone who creates more leaders. And unless you create spaces and opportunities and challenges like that for your team, then the chances of you creating more leaders is very unlikely. Right. All right. Let's talk about the definition of success and, and why it's important to the performance in business. And I think it's an individual's perception of what success is. Is that right? 
Yeah, well, there's two types of success. There's the individuals that they need to have for their own life and how work fits into the context of their own life. And then there's the definition of success that is coming down from their boss that they need to be crystal clear on. How am I being measured here in terms of success? How do you win in this culture? Oftentimes, when you have these large cultures, and it's not clear why one person is advancing over another because the definition of success isn't clear. And when uh, somebody perceives that the game is unfair, that they're playing in terms of climbing the corporate ladder, they stop playing their best and giving, uh, doing their best work. And so it's important to get clear on whatever definition of success we're focused on. Um, for me, when I was working in the traditional context, what I did was I actually created a scoreboard with my manager, right? And we aligned on how I was going to be measured in terms of my success on a daily basis. And there were pie charts and bar graphs. And every meeting, it was not based on personality, right? Even though we did like each other, the meeting weren't based on personality. The meetings were based on that scoreboard. Did those metrics advance from last? week. That's it. That's what we focused on. And so when we're focused on doing business, right, and when we're focused on what's going to move the organization forward, then it, it makes it easier for you to show up and do your work. And that's how you know whether or not you're performing high. Are you moving these metrics forward? Are these numbers better than they were the year before? In terms of the personal definition, you just have to know where you want work to fit in the context of your life, right? In terms of your relationships, in terms of work, in terms of money, how do you prioritize those things? Not everybody wants to be CEO. Some people are happy with the little corner job over there that nobody notices because it allows them to leave the office at 5 p.m. and be a present partner and parent. So we have to get clear on what everybody's definition of success is, and not everybody's commitment is the same. Um, that doesn't mean they shouldn't be on the team, right, because not everybody wants to be CEO. doesn't mean they should be fired from the team. It's just we just have to be clear on what people want from this space in their life. Right, and I believe that there is some alignment. Uh, if, if I have a particular definition of what I feel success is and my boss has a different definition for me, ultimately that's going to end in a parting of the ways or, or it's going to at least have yeah. friction or it's going to make my life miserable for as long as I work here and then I wonder yeah. why why isn't this guy ever happy with me or she you know whomever um, you know I'm doing the best job it's because we're not in alignment it sounds to me like this is a lot of goal setting is part of uh, 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 I guess in business you talk about that performance in business it's about goal setting and that's where you measure your success and and when I say goal setting, that's not like I'm, I want a, a red Corvette uh, in the next five years. No, we're talking about metrics. You even said at the very beginning when you answered the question, it needs to be measured. So you, yeah, yeah, it has to be. Yeah. It has to be. And, and in business, I think there's uh, four particular types of finish lines, and it's the uh, leader's responsibility to determine what kind of finish line we're actually working towards. Are we doing energy-based finish line where everybody leaves work when they're dead tired, where we've given everything that we possibly have, then you go home? Is it a time-based finish line where everybody's going to leave at five today? Is it re a results-based finish line where everybody's going to leave uh, when they finish this particular project? Or is it a feelings-based finish line? I'll leave when I feel good about what I accomplished today. And based on what is on everybody's plate, it actually determines the finish line. But if the leader doesn't establish what kind of finish line we're working towards, then everybody just defaults to the energy-based finish line, which is, I'm going to work until I'm dead tired. And to do that for 365 days, uh, that's not sustainable in terms of keeping the team together yeah. and working at their highest. And I would imagine it's not sustainable at home either. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. All right. We've been talking with Julian Gordon. JulianGordon.com. That's J-U-L-L-I-E-N. Gordon is J, I'm sorry, G-O-R-D-O-N.com. We've been talking about high performance, talking about 
what we need to deliver the best, and as leaders, what we need to expect of the people who work with us. When we come back, we've got a little bit more. I want to talk about some great value, so don't go away. This is Amazing Business Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here. We are back on Amazing Business Radio. We're talking with Julian Gordon. And I want to start in with this concept of 100% at the right time versus 110, 110% all the time. Now, when I read this, I thought to myself, 110%. I didn't know you can – I mean, and to me, it's that's just a way of saying I'm giving everything I've got as much as I've got. I don't know if anybody could ever give anything more than what they've got. It's it's a all-out effort. But uh, tell me about this concept that you have 100% – at the right time versus 110% all of the time. I'm personally in line with what you, the way you think about it, Chef. There's no such thing as 110%. It doesn't exist anywhere. It sounds nice to say, but you only have what you have. Now, your 100%, Chef, uh, which is your capacity, may be greater than my 100%, but regardless, you nor I can give more than what we have. So you, trying to give 110% all the time is unsustainable. As speakers and trainers, you and I both know that there are specific times of the year when companies are seeking us. For me, most of my work gets delivered in the fall, but the contracts come in in January and February. Therefore, if I'm trying to do all my sales in the fall, I'm way too late because people have already made their decisions. So I could be giving 100% in the fall trying to get deals, but because people have already made the decision for that fiscal year, uh, I'm not going to yield that much. Whereas if I'm giving 100% at the right time, which is going to be November, December, January, February, I'm going to see greater results with the same exact effort that I was trying to give in the fall. So giving 100% your best at the right time is, is the key to success. But you have to be clear on the cycles in your business and when is the right time to go hard. Right. So those are the two words. Those are the magic words. Right time. It's 100% at the right time. You've got to know when your time is, uh, know you know when peak season is. It, it's, and, and let's put it into uh, everybody loves to pay taxes, don't they? Or not, doesn't matter. But we know that April 15th is tax season. Our accountants are busy the month before tax season and a, a little bit after tax season. That is their peak time. Maybe it's two months before tax season. I would imagine at that time, they are running 100%. They're probably even a little bit out of balance with what would be the norm the rest of the year because it's a requirement, if not an expectation, that you put in the time necessary to take care of all your clients as you lead up to this basic finish line of, of April 15th. Would you, would you agree or am I on the right right path here? You're definitely on the right track. So that goes with knowing the seasons in your business, right? A farmer knows when to plant. You're not going to plant in the winter because all that effort and energy is going to go to waste. You have to plant at the right time. And so like you said, an accountant knows that um, February, March, April, those are going to be busy times for them. So they're going to take their vacations probably right after that season or right. just before that season to get ready for it rather than trying to be on at 110% all throughout the year when that's not the way their business functions. So I think that's a great way of saying it. So it, it you are going to be a little bit out of whack, out of balance, if you will. And then, you know, at the end of this, that's when you take your time off. That's when you go out of balance the other direction. And that means you're not working hard. You're 
taking time off. You're, you're rejuvenating, if you will. And when you come back, you might be middle of the road for a while before you hit that peak again. And by the way, I've overgeneralized uh, a CPA and accountant during tax season because many of the people I know in that industry and in that business are working pretty hard throughout the year. There are just certain times throughout the year, and it's and it's any time. You know, you mention a farmer, you mention an accountant. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's an athlete. Maybe you know. I know that uh, there's the football season. There's uh, what is it? Uh, approximately 16 regular season games. Maybe it's not approximately. It mm-hmm. just is. Plus your playoff games, and there's some preseason. But it's not a all year uh, effort. It's and I don't like using sports analogies, but if you think about it. I don't think the athlete could sustain that level of performance for 365 days. They need time off. They need to let their bodies heal, not just their minds. Agree. Agree. All right. So we're going to now talk and shift gears here to uh, talking about value and why it's important for a person to determine what their value is and how it all ties into this, you know, not necessarily working harder, but working smarter. Yeah, so when you don't know your value, you're subject to somebody else's idea of what your value is. And when your value is based on somebody else's thoughts and opinions, oftentimes in in trying to impress those people, we end up working tirelessly to try to get their approval. And so I believe that knowing your value is key to knowing your power as an employee or just as somebody as a value-creating entity in the marketplace. And I believe that your value is based on your next best alternative. So if you're getting paid $100,000, but you think you're worth $150,000, you wouldn't complain and point a finger at your employer for undervaluing you. Instead, you would simply go out in the marketplace and claim what you're worth. So your value is really based on what your next best alternative is. It's not based on what you make now. It's not based on your company's pay scale. It's not based on your school's average that you graduated from. It's not based on industry averages or how the economy is doing or even how long you've been working there. A lot of um, pay uh, scales are based on how long somebody's been working there. And to be honest, that it has nothing to do with the value that they're creating. At the end of the day, there are profitable employees, unprofitable employees, and break-even employees. A secretary may be a break-even employee because they uh, account for their costs, but they're necessary. But you want to make sure that you have more profitable employees at the end of the day than you do unprofitable employees, and that means they have to create more value than they take. And a lot of people, Shep, are actually in the overpaid trap. <laughs> And overpaid traffic where they're getting paid more than they actually believe they are worth so that they don't even end up leaving that job even if they don't like it. And, and not only does that hurt the employer, it also hurts the employee. And the only real way to know your value, I believe, is to actually sell your services independently on the side as a cultural consultant and see what you can get per hour. So if you broke up all the services that you're providing to your employer into some sort of a la carte items menu, and, you, and how much could you get for each service that you offer? Because the way I want employees to think is that we're all are all already entrepreneurs whether we know it or not as an employee employee is simply an entrepreneur who only has one big client and that's their employer and if we start seeing ourselves as consultants rather than employees i think we take more a more value-based approach to our work we we don't just try to get into a company and just ride it out and not get fired for 40 years instead we are constantly focused on how do i create more value than i take in the form of salary and benefits if your employer were to fire you right now but was willing to 
rehire you back as a consultant the next day, how much do you think you could honestly command for them based on the value that you can demonstrate that you will create for them? That's what I want employees to think about because I think it causes us to show up in a brand new way and not and let go of the employee mindset and take on this entrepreneurial mindset. I like that. I think uh, I would love if everybody that worked with me had that entrepreneurial mindset at a couple of different levels. Uh, in this particular level, it's, it's what they're worth. And I, I don't hear in, in your explanation here that you're suggesting that anybody go out, leave their job to go find out what they would get if they were independent. But instead, to think about what it is and then go back and treat the people you work with or the company you work with as if they're your single, sole, most important client and you're getting what you're worth. That they're, you know, And sure, there's going to be a little bit of gray area there. Maybe it's a little more, a little bit less. But you just don't want it to be skewed so far because if, in fact, uh, you feel that you're being undervalued, you're right. Go out to the marketplace, find a job that pays you what you're worth. However... If at some point your employer feels that they're overpaying you, not getting the value out of you, well, just like a consultant, they're going to go find another consultant and let you go. Exactly. Yeah. So I like that, the entrepreneurial mindset. All right. There is something that I read from you about putting yourselves first. Uh, and and I, I'm a bit confused on it, but it's basically it, it's a little bit of a conflict because I, I think that when we go to work for somebody that uh, it's, it's a little counterintuitive to be selfish, if you will, and put yourself first. Isn't there a team that you need to think about? Isn't there the company and that you're just part of that company? And I shouldn't say just part of it. You're a very important part of it, but that's what you are. You're a part of something that's much bigger, but you're suggesting to think the other way and value yourself higher. Is that right? Yeah, and it really comes back to self-care uh, and not being caught up in burnout and giving so much to others that you can't even replenish yourself. So you gave so much on Monday that you come back to Tuesday, come back on Tuesday at half capacity. That's not going to help the team or the clients at the end of the day. So you have to put yourself first so that you can give your best. A high performer puts himself first because they know that by doing so, it allows them to serve others at a higher level. At times, it appears to be selfish, but it's actually selfless because they want to give first class service to those that they're working with and for. That's really what the essence is. If you are always in a service and you are giving, 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 and you never replenish that well, then eventually that well runs dry. So a workaholic, they put others before themselves, and while that appears uh, to be selfless, uh, it's not sustainable. When we constantly give more than we take over time, uh, we end up depleted, and that's where people feel burned out. That's where people get frustrated and disgruntled. And so it's really just a, a perspective shift in terms of what giving uh, giving selfless service looks like and starting with self-care so that I can bring my best to the table rather than coming to the table uh, with only half resource or at half capacity. Right. If, if I'm working till late hours of the night and I show up dead tired, there's no way that I'll be as strong as if I were and mentally alert as if I'd had a good night's sleep. And I think what you're talking about is is giving and giving and giving, but also recognizing, hey, I've got to take care of myself. And that means I've got to know when to stop. I've got to know how to stop. I've got to know how to rejuvenate. So uh, this has been great. Julian, I think you've given us a wealth of information, some ideas to think about. I always do this at the end of every show. I ask, what's the one thing you want to share with us? And it could be something that we already talked about that you want to emphasize, or maybe you just want to give us one more nugget. So what would that one thing be, Julian? 
Yeah, I would say it's Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law suggests that work expands the field space and time. So if I give you three hours to do some work that really should only take one hour if you're really focused, what happens is we let that work expand into three hours to fill that actual space. And so when you, you can use that to your advantage to set up a particular thing that you have to do in terms of work up against some sort of deadline like a meeting, some sort of appointment. So instead of letting that three-hour space be held for one hour of work, you can actually, if you and I are going to meet at 11, I'm actually going to start that work at 10 because that's going to really cause me to be focused on it and get it done before our actual meeting. So putting work up against a deadline, you're almost forcing yourself to procrastinate, which sounds counterintuitive because you don't want a one-hour project to take three hours because that's actually a waste of time. So I just wanted to share Parkinson's Law with the listeners because I think that idea is powerful to take with you if you know that work expands to fill the space and time that's available for it. I like that. I know I work really well under deadline. And speaking of deadline, we're basically out of time. Julian, a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Uh, We can't appreciate you enough. This is why we call this Amazing Business Radio, because I believe if you listen to this, and you can again and again, you should listen to it and pick up the nuggets, because there are some amazing nuggets about balance, about your self-discovery, about figuring out what you're worth, about maximizing your productivity and knowing what's best for you and the people you work with. Julian Gordon, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for uh, being on our show. To our listeners, thanks for listening in. My name's Shep Hyken. This is Amazing Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.